Design Conversations is a podcast series presented by myself, Jeff Fitzpatrick, containing recorded conversations with preeminent Australian designers across a series of design disciplines. And if not designers, then those who have had integral roles in Australian design. The series is aimed at preserving an oral history and an archive of mid-century design undertakings and to provide an understanding of what it has taken to achieve some of the amazing outcomes in Australian design history. To learn more about the guests and my background, visit designconversations.net. Good morning, and this morning I'm delighted to invite to the Design Conversation series a renowned uh, figure in the world of uh, in da- design, and that is David Terry. Uh, David was the former head of the um, or national director, actually, of the Industrial Design Council of Australia, which was such an important body in establishing the credibility and the uh, confirmation of the profession within the, the business community and uh, contributed significantly to uh, <clears throat> many designers' careers. And um, uh, so I'm delighted, therefore, to uh, say uh, welcome to David Terry. Welcome, David. Thank you, Jeff. It's, it's very nice to be here. By technological means. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. Well, um, you did uh, play a very important role in, uh, in, as the National Director of the Industrial Design Council of Australia, which is going back to... Uh, mid-century. Um, in the, 1958. Mm. 1958. Gosh, yes. Well, that is uh, that is quite a, a while ago. That was only about uh, 11 years after the foundation of the Society of Designers for Industry, which mm. became the Industrial Design Institute of Australia, which became the Design Institute of Australia. And well, one of the that, members of that, uh, Derek Wrigley and Fred Ward, were in fact the founders of the Design Council. Oh, well, that's, that's great to have that confirmation because uh, Derek, as you know, sadly yep. passed away just um, several weeks ago now. And um, in writing uh, his obituary, um, I was uh, confirming that uh, he played a role in that, but he and Fred, of course, uh, were both based at the um, Australian National University Design Unit at the time, and uh, they uh, they brought their networking to bear, I guess, with um, the uh, the various members of industry, and I think Essington Lewis might have been the uh, the first, first chairman. And, first and chairman, yes, the yes. award was uh, was uh, named after him, and yes, uh, and okay. one was given to Fred Ward, and one was also given to the Duke of Edinburgh. By the way. Oh well, that. <laughs> That's another story which I'm dying to hear, actually, and look forward to it. But perhaps if we go back to uh, uh, your very early career and you could perhaps tell me, give me a little bit of background, David, about your uh, your parents and your family and perhaps early influences. Okay. Well, my mother was 42 when I was born in 1937. So as an only child, but she was a kindergarten teacher, which gave me an insight an early um, familiarisation with things that stimulated the imagination. My father was a professional golfer. <laughs> oh, okay. But he was also a wall classer. But um, they, um, being, being an only child at that stage, meant that 
one of the things I had to cope with was the fact that she didn't think she'd be around to see me grow up or something might happen. So I had to overcome a big background of fear. And that she had a, um, a brother, uh, and he was a bit older than her, and the family resources in those days had gone to sending him to Melbourne Grammar and also to university, and he'd become a civil engineer responsible for electrification of railways in India. And I was supposed to be, well, he was he was my template. That was how I was supposed to go. But right. I, I didn't because I wasn't that good at maths. And about when I, after, or when I grew up and I went firstly to a kindergarten just near here in Armadale where I live, and then I went to Melbourne Grammar because of my uncle's reputation, I, I got in easily. And my first mentor in the senior school, which moved me away from the fact that I could be an engineer, which I wasn't suited for, was John Brack. And oh, he, gosh. He was my art teacher, and he was very influence, very influential in me in, in those early years. And, and at school, of course, was also Barry Humphreys. He was a couple of years older than me, but I took part with him and a number of my friends in many of his early Dada pranks, and that was a an interesting <laughs> interesting thing to do. So, but I didn't finish school. I left it leaving because I, my cousin, um, a cousin of mine, Bert Bertels, had oh, he didn't go to the war because he'd been an essential worker in in the munitions, and he met his wife there, and he was an industrial designer, and he'd done the post-war industrial design course at Melbourne Tech, as it was then, or the Melbourne's Working Men's College, it had a very pretty primitive name, with Clement right. and Ron Rosenfeld. Yes. And um, they and he inspired me because there, there was a profession which combined both the aesthetics, the human nature, and the mechanical and the physical aspects of things, and that attracted me. And Excellent. David, so, just, be just before you go any further, I just thought I would show you, giving your reference to John Brack, yeah. um, this is oh. uh, on my wall. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> Terrific. I like it. Yeah. That's a, uh, a, a John Brack uh, 54. So, uh, yes. But anyhow, sorry. Oh, so, oh. No, well, 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 that was so at, at the industrial design course, as it was then, and uh, uh, the the course was conducted by Alan Warren, who ran the uh, Herald Sun Art Review. And right. I, I don't know that he was that much of um, informed about industrial design, and and I didn't actually complete the course. I left. Uh, I was a bit dissatisfied with it at that stage. And I got a job temporarily for a couple of months because I knew my national service was coming up as a silk screen printer. Then I did my national service. And when I came out of it, I thought, well, I, I had this influence from the tech and I'll put a folio of stuff together. And I thought I'd try for a job as an ABC step, set designer at the start of television. And I was going to go along there. And one day, walking through the city, I ran into one of my bohemian friends from those days and he said oh what are you doing and I said oh, I've got Polly I'm going to the ABC he said oh why don't you come, uh, come up to Myers he said oh, I'm leaving didn't tell me he'd been sacked but anyway I went <laughs> I took my folio up to the the store architect in the store planning department Don Ward not Fred Ward Don Ward right. 
he and he looked at it, and most of my stuff were pretty small. They were like little Jackson Pollock things that I did, those sort of dribble paintings and a few other. He said, can you start on Monday? Oh, excellent. Start well on done. Monday, and, with, and within a few months, and there was about 20 people in the department, in the store planning department, I was responsible for the appearance of about, in the, even the first couple of years, several whole departments in which I did murals, and then at the about uh, 1958, uh, he he was very busy doing uh, projects for Myers directors, and he said, "Look, he said we've got Chadstons coming up, the first shopping centre in Australia. Uh, do something about the interior." So he gave me the job of deciding how it would look. So that involved me designing not only chairs, furniture, chandeliers and carpets, but also the appearance of most of the, of the store, including the strawberry room. Well, that's, that's a very impressive uh, commission, obviously. It was about 21. I mean, it was astonishing and, yeah. and, I, and full of confidence, you know. You'd, you'd go sure. things, you'd, you'd go in, I'd be working in Myers and then I'd say, oh, it's lunchtime, let's go up to Jimmy Watson's. <laughs> Which was a great hall, a great hall oh, for, yeah. uh, for the old uh, working man's college students, I recall. Yeah, that's, that's right, it was. And so that was, I mean, it was, a, it was a great time and I had a terrific experience because Don Ward ran the architectural atelier at Melbourne University. Oh, and, God. And he ran the office like a design course. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he was critical, but he was also, uh, he, he, he was liberating. And it was just the thing I needed. And it was, and he was my uh, second mentor, if you like. And he, right. and he encouraged what I did. And I, after, after Chadston, I then, uh, they wanted me to do a couple of stores in Sydney. And I went up and I did the inside of Gordon, which, because they'd just taken over farmers. And I, ah. had, I had the greatest uh, lesson in my design life in the process of doing this, and I think it's worth retelling, because you know, in between my Jimmy Watson's visits, uh, Don Wood said, how, how, "How's the scheme for uh, for Gordon coming on?" Oh, oh, I said, "I better do something." So I got out of you know a few meters of of uh, uh, cartridge paper and did about half a mile of wall in one eighth to the inch scale because we weren't metric then and stuck photographs and write on it and little things and I said, this and that. And, and, and I said, oh, this look, this is the whole concept. And he said, oh, well, he said, uh, take it up next week, you know, and you can meet your colleague up there and you can discuss it. And I said, well, that's good. So I rolled it up, got on the plane, went to Sydney. When we got to Sydney, I was met by a limousine. I thought, God. And they got and then I went into this lift and up to the director's floor. And in I was taken to the director's room. Here's Mr. Terry from Melbourne. He's going to show us the scheme for our new Gordon Department store. Oh, that, and I thought, my God, if the floor could open up, I'd disappear. And, <laughs> and then I had the greatest lesson that I could ever learn. Because I said I can't escape. I'm trapped in here. There was the there was the original founder of Farmers there. He was still smarting after having been taken over by Myers. There was the Meyer bloke that had come in from having run the Meyer Furniture Factory. They're all there, about twelve of them in the room. And I and there's a very Victorian, heavy wooden, polished interior. So I unfurled. I said, "Gentlemen, you're going to be surprised at what you'll see." And I, and I knew the one credibility was that I'd worked on Chadston. So I unrolled these long pieces of paper 
they looked like that. And I said this phrase, as you will be aware when designing. And, of course, they're not. Yes. <laughs> and I said, I've, I've taken this as a shopper's view and not an architect's view from the top, not a bird's view. I'm going to take you on a, on a magical tour of this department now here. And I pointed a bit of photograph with some glue dripping out the edges. This is the ladies' <laughs> shoe department. It's a 40-foot-long photograph of Portofino in Italy. Right. <laughs> oh, that's it. And I, and I moved around. And these little bits of cellophane and stuff sitting out. This is the ladies' underwear. We've got backlit acrylic behind lace. Oh, that's it. And so it went around the whole floor. And there were two, three floors. And when it finished, they said, oh, that's very, very interesting. Uh, what will it cost? And I sat down in the toilet of the of the Convair aircraft that took me up there, and I just wrapped out some things. One chandelier, a thousand pounds, because it's still pounds. And I said, "Oh, about I think about sixty-seven thousand pounds." And actually, that's about what it cost. Oh, well done! <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, and it all worked out. It was astonishing. But I learned this lesson because when I'd been doing Chadston, and I did the Strawberry Room, I'd drawn, I done a very detailed perspective. I had strawberry lights, which is what the director wanted, and a woven ceiling and, and specially designed chairs and a strawberry and cream vinyl floor, if you don't mind. And the <laughs> I've taken this in and offered it to the director who was running the project, and he said, oh, we're not going to have square corners on the chairs, are we? And I said, well, Next time you see a drawing from me, you won't know if it's a chair or not. This is about the the ambience. The, I didn't say that to him, but that was the, that was yes. me. So when I showed it to them in Sydney, none of them. It's like the Emperor's cloak. They wouldn't say, "I can't see what you're talking about." They just said, "Oh, well, this is an interesting concept." You know, we're talking about the shoppers, and, that, and it's uh, it'll be open in November, just before Christmas. So, which are all the things I put in, and it worked. And I thought, gosh, I said that's that was you know I could not have learnt that at a design school. No, because, no. But you know, going in to meet a, a a director, there's the designer frequently had, in my opinion, a subservient role of offering something, and sure. and, and waiting for them to exercise what knowledge they had to make an aesthetic appreciation of it. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that then, um, so he then. Um, asked me to stay on and do a couple more stores for them. One was Miranda Fair down in uh, down in down near Cronulla, and then yeah. I did a lot of work in the farmers' store in in Sydney in the, in the city. That was now, of course, part of Myers. And so when I got back to Melbourne, and uh, they were they were working on Southlands and Northlands, and Don Ward had left, and I felt well, I've this is it. I've done my run, and. Uh, my friend had just left and joined the design council as an exhibition designer. I'd worked with him. I'd been to the tech with him. Who was that? Uh, who was that, David? Uh, Jeffrey Newman. And you oh, probably... yes, Jeff Newman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, he's he's still a very good friend of mine, and um, we we had a parallel career. <laughs> yes. So um, I waited for a while um, because I didn't know they didn't have much money, but eventually they said yes, you can join Jeff and as exhibition designer and my mm. fourth mentor i think it's fourth by now was colin barry oh he, gosh lovely man mm. yeah and he was then the design design director of the design council so jeff and i for a couple of years or more we designed and produced and partly built partly organized exhibitions on a variety of subjects that we funded exhibitions on steel 
on children's toys, on furniture, on ergonomics, on basic geometry, all sorts of things that could appeal to people coming into the design centres. What was this? What was the date of this, David? Well, this would be in, I joined the council in about 1968, and uh, we then, about 67, and then um, to uh, the design centre in Sydney had just opened, and I think in 1966, and we we were doing exhibitions in this place in Bridge Street. This is, they were they were quite expensive, extensive exhibitions about design, and and yeah. they were yeah. funded by industry, and, and we got a lot of publicity, especially with the children's toys exhibition each year. We got a terrific lot of publicity. So I then came back to Melbourne, and at one stage, um, I had my by now fifth mentor arrive, and he was the former brigadier in charge of Maralinga and Woomera rocket ranges. Who was what was his, what was his, his name? His name was Richard Durance. Oh, okay. And he had come into the design council, and and Colin was leaving, and he had a brand new uh, attaché cast. And Colin said, "That's too bright. That's too that's too new, Dick." <laughs> <laughs> and so Dick knew nothing nothing about uh, design, and I knew nothing about the military, except I'd been in national service for three months, which is like a scout camp. So. Uh, I thought I'd better say something to him, which which later ended into lots of conversations because, as it turned out, he had an only child. His wife was 42. He'd been to the same school as me. So the the, the mentorship clicked into place straight away. But I said, look, uh, the only thing I can remember about the, the military is going to a formal mess dinner at Paddington Barracks in Sydney. Oh, yes. He said, tell me about that. Tell me about that. And I said, well... I went there with a with a major friend of mine from the intelligence corps. He'd, he'd invited me. Oh, yes, yes, that's interesting. And what was it like? I said, well, it was a summer night. There was a brass band on the loggia. We went in. There were drinks. And then we went in. Everyone was in their number nine nest dress with sashes and red and blue and all these wonderful uniforms. And the, I said, what was served? And I said, I described the meal. And after the meal, oh, well, then there was captain's table, all the uh, colonels and other people went into to have a after-dinner drinks while the captain swapped jokes and things and the claret passed around the, the, the table in a little silver GS cart model after the First World War. Oh, he said, that's very interesting. And he said, uh, who, who, who can you remember was, was the host on this occasion? Oh, I said, it was the Colonel Commanding Eastern Command. I can't, can't think of his name. Well... He said it was me. It was it was Richard Durance, and you were late, and you were with Ty Ball, Major Ty Ball, and he was in a dinner suit and not his uniform. And I <laughs> said, "My God!" And I realised this was a guy, and he knew nothing about design, but he had a photographic memory. It was incredible. So what I learnt about him from the strategic part. And I'll come to this in one of your final questions about what you think designers should learn, uh, was the, me the method of getting right to the point of what you want and identifying the aim of the object and how to write a business letter, how to write a submission. And I thought, that was oh, yeah, boy, that's terrific. Great, quest great questions. Uh, and, oh, and yeah. Great, uh, great lessons to take away, David. Tell me a little bit. You mentioned um, coming back to Melbourne. As yeah. I understand it, um, uh, the Industrial Design Council had uh, a premises in, uh, it was at De Grave Street in yes, Melbourne? Yes, it did. It did yeah. Yes. 
Did you ever encounter that, or was that? After- oh, yeah. yes, that's when I started, and for uh, for six months, for a while, uh, there was a dead rat under the floor, which didn't make it very habitable. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the it was um, make it was on the first floor, and Jeff and I did exhibitions there, but and we hadn't opened the design centre in Sydney yet. But I was we I, I did I, I designed a big design for living design for pleasure exhibition in the exhibition buildings which okay. was like a giant, giant marquee made out of silver and purple and gold vapcolex which was a material they wrap lollies in it's like a, a metalized plastic and I made all sorts of things inside a big mural of sporting objects designed objects as such as we could find it was a story there was no computers so I had an epi- I had one of those uh, I, uh, overhead projectors. We had a big oh, yes. plastic wheel revolving with all sorts of objects. So this would project them up on the screen as a sort of abstract pattern. But it worked, it worked quite nicely. And then, so we did these exhibitions. And after a, a, after we'd done this for a few years, uh, the chap who was running the Sydney office left, and um, the chairman, who was then Ross Honan, said, uh, "We would like you to take the job as state director in Sydney," which I did. And oh, of course, Ross, Ross Hernan was at uh, ANU, wasn't he? He was the vice-chancellor, yes. Vice-chancellor, yes. And that, so I went up there and moved my family my, and, my, and my two daughters up to Sydney. And um, uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd moved there before, of course, when I was working with Myers. So we, we, we returned to Sydney. And um, during that time, uh, I applied for a Churchill Fellowship. Uh, because I just thought it was, I was very interested in the aims of the Design Council. I thought, you know, one of the things about design was the fact it is a cross-discipline activity. It yeah. touches everybody. And I yeah. found that my years there, both as a state director and later as the national director, and, or before that national design coordinator, that I was meeting everyone in Australia and elsewhere, design leaders from around the world, uh, I even took one, Kenji Ikwan, for two months round Australia. He was a principal designer of the GK Associates in Japan. And I remember on the lecture series, his English wasn't very good. And we were in a we had a public forum and there were people from industry design professions, and he started, oh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, and I think, oh, this is going to be difficult, going to be difficult. And uh, and so at the end there were questions. And he, he got through it all. And uh, Someone said, oh, Mr. Ekuan, uh, I noticed you said you've got a philosopher on your staff. Oh, yeah, I'm a philosopher. Uh, if you, you're designing Yamaha trail bike, is very nice if you can have someone come up and read some Hegel to you. Oh, who's Hegel? So we went around Australia, and he was terrific. I learned a lot from him. And, and Can I just say, David, um, I had the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, 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 must be about uh, fifteen or more years ago now, just right. before he passed. Um, and he was uh, the uh, the guest of honor at an Asian Design Awards function in Hong Kong. Mm. And uh, because Michael Bryce, who was sadly hey, no longer with us, he was on my Sydney committee, by the way. Yes. Okay. Well, Michael was. Uh, <laughs> Was uh, I think particularly engaged with with Kenji at, uh, yes, yes. at his tour in Australia, and Michael had asked me if I ever encountered him to pass on his personal wishes. So I saw Kenji. Um, 
he was in a wheelchair at that stage. I think he'd suffered some uh, st stroke damage. And um, um, he uh, he had wanted to design the wheelchair himself, actually, but didn't have the opportunity. But it was lovely to uh, to see him. He was quite frail then, but uh, uh, still engaged and still obviously contributing to uh, to the profession. So that was just a sidebar. Oh, it, it, well, well I, I was very impressed with him. And when we when we moved to Sydney before the next Dunhill lecture series, I have to point okay. out, yes. sponsored by British Tobacco, with, yes. with hostess girls giving them out, never mind. So anyway, I, I had Kenji and his offsider called uh, a man called Yoshio Nishimoto, who, who ran the San Francisco office. And in the hotel room of the Hotel Australia, I said, Let, let's go through the opening. Good evening, ladies. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And we sort of, and we did a little bit of rehearsal. And, and Yoshio uh, Nishimoto said to me, hey, Dave, an American accent, of course, uh, <laughs> we, we, we very much appreciate what you're, what you're doing for Kenji here. Uh, I just want, we, we just like to know why you're doing it. I said, oh, well, I, I, sorry if I, I sound rude, but I just thought it might make it easy, a little bit of rehearsal uh, to make the program uh, successful in Sydney. Well, he said, look, that's really nice. We really appreciate that. But I, I like to say we didn't come 8,000 miles to fail. <laughs> and they they didn't they didn't yeah. we got design educators people from government and business it was the design educators around australia that were i'm sure influenced by yeah. the the and, and later that year i went to the uh design exit design conference which was called and was sponsored by it was headed by kenji he was then the president, I think, well, he became the president of X at the International Council of Societies of Industrial Design, Soul and Material Things. Yes. Kenji, before he started design, had been a Buddhist priest. He'd seen his family obliterated in Nagasaki. Yes, gosh. Mm -hmm. And he, had, he saw design as, as, a, as a lateral world-saving movement. Yes, and yes. I thought that was fantastic. You know, I was really, really moved by that. I still am. Because yes. Was no, that, that's extraordinary because that whole series, uh, there were a series of remarkable speakers. I think another was Marco Zanuso. And, uh, yes, Marco, yep. Yeah. Others. I, so, uh, I can tell you something about Marco. When he was in the airport, we had the press there, and I said, ah, oh, Mr. Zanuso, you're coming from, uh, from, from Italy. You're going to introduce uh, things about Australian design. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that would be uh, <laughs> rather uh, daunting, I yes. imagine. That. So that was that was the Dunhill uh, lecture Dunhill series. Dunhill lecture series. Right. Kenji, that everyone, was... There was um, uh, Dick Latham. There was yes. um, uh, Michael Robbins, the chair of London Underground. I went round Australia with him. Yes. Um, by train. Yes. Gosh. Yes. <laughs> that was fascinating. So they were they were I mean very very good things to do. So mm -hmm. after, a, and then when I, well, when I got the Churchill Fellowship in 1970, when I was State Director of New South Wales, and that that provided me with two, almost three months in Southeast Asia. The aim of this was to look from a designer's point of view or on behalf of Australia and look where we could find appropriate production things. There was a, uh, there was a term in those days called intermediate technology because... Mm -hmm. uh, Places like Japan were invading, if you like, Malaysia and Indonesia with brand new products, you know, yeah. 
Yes. I once wrote an article called The Media in Southeast Asia is, is a, a black Mercedes or a modern car going through a peasant landscape that changed it. So the, this tour, I went to most Southeast Asian countries. I didn't go to China, but I did go to Taiwan. And that was very useful in, in changing my way about, um, in a sense, uh, I have to use the word paternalism of developed countries towards what were then called poor countries. They no longer are quite in the same way. But there was it, it was a very interesting and uh, I suppose in a sense uh, one of my uh, conclusions was that they are developing at their own rate and to come in and following the Americans or the Japanese uh, was not necessarily the way in which you could develop an individuated society design wise. I mean, that wasn't the message I was supposed to give out, of course, but anyway, uh, that was my conclusion. But it was very, very useful thing. So after those, um, after that trip, I came back and it wasn't long before um, they wanted me to come down to Melbourne again and be the National Design Coordinator. This was while Dick Durance was still there. So mm -hmm. worked on a number of things, and one of the oh, and I, I meant to say that in one of the things I did in the exhibition stage in 1968 was I designed the first Prince Philip Prize of Australian Design exhibition in the National Gallery. Oh, right, and, and that was the first time. First time I met the Prince when he came through, and we had it in the National Gallery. We had everyone there: Balties, Menzies, the whole lot. And uh, and the unfortunately, the administration of the council in those days, which wasn't the, had fed the press sandwiches while everyone else uh, had 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 barramundi and all sorts of lovely wines in in the in the galleries itself as a big lunch, and because the Duke took a real interest and took an hour longer, all of the uh, renowned guests got a bit drunk. <laughs> 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 so when the when the prize giving came out, people would come up to 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 get the award from the Duke with a cigar in their mouth or something. <laughs> it, was, it was it was astonishing, and and when he was going round the exhibition, Jeffrey Newman, um, who was always a little bit more outspoken than me, I suppose, he there was the Duke. He said, "Oh, uh, Your Highness, I'd like to introduce David Terry. He designed this exhibition. Oh, no prizes for that." <laughs> 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 tell, tell me, David, what, what were your impressions of, of the Duke? Well, I did meet him quite a few times because when I became national director, I ran I, I ran the Prince Philip Design, the annual Right, film. of course, yes. And yes. that was an annual event. So I met him on the Britannia twice. I met him in Buckingham Palace. I've met him in government houses and I've met him in the Parmelia Hotel. And the first occasion in I, I met him we, was the second year in... Um, of the Prince Philip Prize, uh, no, it was the third year. The and uh, the winner had previously been a, G a General Electric kettle, and right. uh, and uh, and and the Duke had uh, he'd had a one-way television thing from from Jacking Palace, and we couldn't see him. we could see him, but he couldn't see what was happening in Australia. He only had a photograph. And he would say, "Oh, I don't see how your mouth's moving, and I don't hear what you're saying." And he'd say to people, "Oh, this kettle! Can you get an egg in it?" He asked the designer. And then, <laughs> what's he saying? And of course, didn't realise he was talking about British people in their bed sits. <laughs> 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 who was, who when, was the, who when, was the when, designer of the kettle? <laughs> but, oh, uh, God! I, 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 it, 
I can. It was um, ah, uh, was it uh, Mooney? Might have been Dick Mooney with um, General Electric. I can't remember now. He was AWA. It's not, it just skipped my memory. But when we when we went to the the palace on, the, on this occasion, this was going to be a dual broadcast. A oh, okay. Way. satellite link up and it involved furniture van sizes of equipment both ends and <laughs> I got we I, I managed to get Qantas to do a contra deal to fly the products including a, a, a two-ton wool press Good and, grief. and a steel staircase to be exhibited in the London Design Centre and, <laughs> and the winner that year or one of one of the entries was a was it was a wall safe that you put into your wall and you you know and and you lock it up and then you put it behind a picture or something so we're in the so there was myself there was a chairman of the design council that was Trevor Wilson he was managing director of Jackson Wayne advertising agency myself and the ABC producer of the show. So we're sitting in the Duke's study and uh, we had a little television set there and uh, we're going through the, the objects. And uh, what came up was the, was the wall safe and the, and, and the little bit of film says the door opens and inside the safe is a purple cushion with a crown on it. And the door opens and then closes and the voice said, and even your most precious possessions will be very safe in this Ajax wall safe. Or whatever. <laughs> and the door opened again and the producer looked at the Duke and said, uh, was that all right, sir? Was that all right? Who's not all right? Not all right. Uh, having, uh, uh, the crown, the crown on the cushion. Crown, crown, I thought it was a cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely story. <laughs> Every time, we, you know, there was always something. But he he was very interested in the whole process, and it was terrific. Yes, know? and yes. it was it was good. Uh, but it was it was during those times, of course, that the various governments pulled the money out of the council. The council was an independent, non-profit Section Twenty Two company, limited by guarantee. It it was not a a, a, a quango. Well, I suppose it was a quango, a quasi autonomous government organisation. But in in fact, it was a private company, and mm. they pulled the money out. And then they realised um, when when they did that. Um, for the second time, it, it wasn't the first time it happened. Uh, I and and another colleague who's since died, Ern, Ern Rothschild, he he became the director after me after I left. Um, we spent a few weeks in Trevor Wilson, the managing the design council's uh, chairman, in his advertising offices in South Yarra, and trying to reactivate the place because the state. Governments were still putting money and we still had programs. And one of the things I'd introduced in Sydney was a field officer program where we sent designers out subsidised by the New South Wales government to help local manufacturers improve wool press or whatever it was they were doing. And this was a fairly successful program. We also ran uh, industry evenings where we'd, we'd invite small companies in and give them a dinner in, in our, not the design centre. We had an, an offices in um, in, in North Sydney, because after the after the first pullout of money, that all closed and everything disappeared. Then we got it back again. When the second collapse, and this was, you know, it was to me it was pretty awful because at that stage I was uh, secretary of the Asian Regional Design Group for Exit, which involved King Ji Ekwan. It involved people from South Korea, Taiwan, uh, Singapore. Um, 
the Philippines, and I think, I'm not sure about Malaysia, I can't remember now, but I was their representative because I spoke English at the Paris Exit Conference, speaking on behalf of the Asian group. And the, right. aim, and the aim was to have a cooperative design university. This was Kenji. Well, I discussed it with Kenji. Uh, a cooperative design university that would swap students around Southeast Asia. And we got we were getting this put together. And at the same time, I was developing a a quality development program within McPhee, the Minister for Productivity at the time in Australia. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And this was to coordinate uh, organisations like the, the um, National um, Association of Testing Authorities, the Standard Association, CSRO, to give us, uh, as well as the Design Australian Design Award mark, to give a, 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 a quality mark on certain sorts of locally produced products. And Ian McPhee was very interested in that. And to an extent, that sort of cost me my job, really. And I suppose I'm not saying too much out of time because when we were in Perth with the Prince Philip Prize once, um, Ian McPhee, before he was sacked as being a wet liberal, uh, said, how's, how's, the, how's the quality to program going? I said, well, Ian, we haven't heard much back from your department. Oh, leave it with me, leave it with me. And a few weeks later, I had a phone call from the, his department. They said, hi, Dave. Um, word is here that you and your chairman have gone to the minister about lack of activity up here. Oh, well, the word's out that uh, they don't like that and they're going to get you and it's not going to be Marquess of Queensby rules either. So they did. Ultimately, a year later, I was, there was a new chairman in and I was in 1983, I left. Uh, there was a lot of protests from Derek and, and Michael Bryce. They wrote me fantastic letters, but it was no avail. There was a hard government-backed group. However, um, at the time when we were in suspension and I was working in Trevor Wilson's office and we called in Claude Farrell, uh, a, a, a main writer for The Age. And, yes. And he was friends with my one of my personal assistants and uh, friends, partner. And yes. so he wrote a fantastic article. and. The government realised that um, with all the state support, they might have mucked up a bit here and cutting it up. When they got rid of McPhee, they put a new minister in, the quality to program went out the window, any thought of Asian or regional groups went out the window, all of that went down the drain. It was very, very disappointing. So they restarted it again. Um, they wanted to restructure it, and it's a bit like the government now. I, I, I applied, became the national director, and I, I had that position for about seven years until the incident that I spoke to you about just uh, occurred. Yes. And, and so that was, um, uh, I think, that at, the, at that time, um, the states had a lot of power, and I had... I was a national director, but more of a coordinator. That wasn't it wasn't an executive function in, at all because right. as yep. we, the the national head office was funded by government. The states funded themselves, so it was pretty like a federation. And we were trying, and my job was to try and unify the policy across across the states with with regard to design promotion and all the sorts of things that were happening. So uh, after a few years of that. Um, Still, there was still a lot of things going with the Design Awards and the Prince Philip Prize. Uh, and after I left, then the, the council ran on for a couple of years. They got a, a, another director who became, I forget his name now, very interested in running it as a business. 
and uh, it ran itself into the ground, basically. And like the Standards Association, well, it went, it became part of the Standards Association and almost disappeared. I believe it exists. Well, it does exist. There's an organisation uh, that's not the Design Council, but it claims to be the successor to the Design Council that started in '56, and it gives design awards to products wherever they're designed, if they're designed in Germany or anything at all, because they said, well, there's not much manufacturing left in Australia, so we're going to sort of set the standard of design. Well, that's what it does. You probably know about that. but um, I, I do, David. It's called Good Design. Yes, uh, yes that's, yeah. that's right. And well, it, uh, it, it's, a, it's a commercial enterprise, yes, so right. run, run, run for profit. That's correct. And, and as you say, uh, it is uh, it takes entries internationally so yeah, there's no yeah, yeah. particular program to foster uh, local, the local profession which is is um, disappointing um, and it's run by a gentleman called Brandon Gian who I've spoken was, to him once yes he was he was formerly with Standards Australia I mm. think looking after the program when Standards yeah, happened yeah. but it was of not much uh, measure or import at that point in time and uh, Brandon, I think, brought the the rights to it or whatever it may have been and has established Good Design uh, Australia, uh, which has now been running, I think, for uh, for several years. Yes, uh, and uh, it uh, uh, he's also contracted to run the Premier's Design Awards in oh, Victoria. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, But it is a commercial enterprise and it is a, a for-profit organisation. Yeah. So, um, yes, not quite uh, what... Uh... There's a big difference. I mean, I felt, well, you, you, one of the questions you asked me was talking to things to, to young designers. Yes. And, and I, I, well, I, you know, I've given a, 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 a few clues about what I think they should do. One of the first things I do is what I learned from the Brigadier, identify what you're really trying to do, you know, really get to the, to the point do it from the other side of the desk for the person you're supposed to be talking to as well yes. and yeah. learn how to write good business letters. I gave, uh, I spent in the late 90s after I'd left the council and I had my own business started, which is, I've just I've stopped running a few years ago, although I'm still sitting in the, the husk of it right now. Um, yeah. uh, I, I gave some um, um um, some some lectures um, as a visiting lecturer to to Monash University to the design unit there with Ted Kayser and oh yes yes and um, and I did that and I also lectured on ergonomics because I when I was in Sydney I ran the ergonomics society there and a few other right. things so um, but one of the things I did was the lecture all of the design students whether they were uh, graphic or whatever uh, on professional practice and I said well the main thing to do is to learn how to write a letter and one of the assignments I gave them was to write a, a letter promoting themselves to someone and most of them came back the errors were appalling the spell yes. the lack it's of it. and I said look this is essential if you're going to get over the hurdle you've got to get it right <laughs> absolutely David and it's interesting um uh, some six or seven years ago now, there was a proposal put forward uh, and there was a survey to canvas uh, opinion uh, and support for a double degree for designers. Um, the design aspect of the degree was the first section of it. The second section was a business degree. <laughs> and um, it was um, proposed to, to be accepted by um, uh, RMIT, by Swinburne and, uh, and Monash. 
uh, and possibly Deacon. Uh, and it got a lot of support. And then for some reason or other, it just fell by the wayside, oh. which is such a shame. But because I tend to agree with you, I think it is so important that uh, there's an understanding and an empathy uh, about uh, the managing of a business. And yeah. uh, if any designers were going to pitch themselves to the the head of a small to medium enterprise and want them to commission uh, blindly, um, uh, a whole lot of uh, resources and uh, and financial inputs Absolutely. to their ideas, then they've got to understand what they're asking and what the impacts of those things are. And if they don't have any training in uh, in business or even know how to read a balance sheet, then they're they're not going to be successful. No, that's 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 quite true. And well, I mean, even at the years when I was at the um, doing industrial design, many of the people that went there, and a, a very good friend of mine, Trevor Ling, who lives only a few hundred metres from where I am now, now, was a couple of years ahead of me in the design course. Uh, he became the, the, a set designer from the ABC and then went on to be a filmmaker. <laughs> and so, right. It, it was he, it was he uh, did he do uh, some specialisation in graphics too, I think? Wasn't he part no, of no, industrial design? Industrial, Industrial design. design, okay. I thought he was part of AGDA, uh, the Australian graphic. Oh, yeah, yes, he could have been. Well, he was with. He was great friends with Alex Stitt and people like that. Yes, and of course, Alex and Bruce were the head. Yes. And uh, Brian Sadgrove and, you know, all those. They, they had a group, Max Robinson. and uh, Yes. They had a, the uh, art directors meeting. They used to meet every month or something, and that was pretty good. But I still see a lot of him. We're, he's a couple of years older than me, but we're very good friends. Oh, that's that's great. No, it's an interesting recollection. And uh, but uh, no, it's uh, it's been um, been amazing. I think one of the questions I had for you, uh, uh, David, and you're possibly <laughs> you've answered it very fulsomely. But um, if you had any advice for young designers at this point in time, starting. Well, it's a matter of looking, and you asked me about the, the what do I think the future? Well, the 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 two questions come together here to to a certain sure. The first thing to make the observation is that you need well. The first thing you need to do as a designer is to do life drawing. Right. Yes. Yes. I think that's. It. I still do it. Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and I think that is an important way of learning and choosing, and and be able to describe form, to choose a medium, to choose a method, to, to look and analyse what you're seeing and make I, I entirely agree, David. And, in fact, um, I did the interior design uh, a diploma, as it was then, hmm. uh, back in the 60s, and um, I had to take life drawing, and I, uh, I worked under John Mills, Oh yes, mm. yes, uh, wonderful, wonderful guy and uh, lovely artist. But uh, uh, I would totally endorse that uh, that life drawing was uh, imparted so many skills to you and uh, was an essential part of your training. Yeah, and I think the next thing to look at, of course, is and and you and I showed you earlier that I I got myself into CAD post industrial yes. design council um, as as a because I didn't I, I had a. Um, well, I, I wasn't. I, I wasn't desperate, but I, I wanted. I wanted to do the design, and I, I've done since I've left Design Council. I've mainly done. Uh, it's, I suppose it's been stuff like um, uh, residential renovations, warehouse conversions. Um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like that I've won a couple of design awards from the Building Design Association for doing that, and that's a big organisation which I was on their executive committee until a few years ago. 
and um, that um, that was very interesting to me to to do that and and to learn the to use skills. Well, it's moved beyond that now. For the young designer, the thing that hasn't changed is the philosophic nature of the subject itself. That it is mm-hmm. lateral. It, it is lateral. The fact that because I'd been with the Design Council for such a long time, I felt perfectly confident in talking to a doctor about a hypodermic syringe or a managing director about uh, the couch she was sitting on or mm-hmm. any of those things. It became uh, a, a, instead of two businessmen having only the football last week as their catalyst for conversation, design yes. in, introduces an area where there is a commonality. Yes. Also a philosophy about it. And I remember having long conversations at the Hobart Casino, by the way, with Kenji Ekuan when we were doing a lecture series there about a little design wheel of the things that were important to be was the aesthetics, the structure, the engineering, and the the commercialization. Those three things need to be visualized as a as a complex. And to 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 me, it is self-evident that if that the, all the work the Design Council tried to do in promoting this simple idea uh, floundered because that philosophy, if you like, wasn't followed at the top of the company. One of the few companies that do it is, of course, Apple. Mm-hmm. And Apple um, does should do for any intelligent person, do what any design promotion organization can do. You can say, well, at the top of that company, the designers are there, not down outside the marketing, not to be called in later. And there, the Apple philosophy, they can be criticized, but they've been highly successful. And and I use only Apple products because I just find they're just fantastic. And I just love them. And I don't throw them out. I've got a roof full of (laughs) Of course, and of course, one behind me, and I'm talking to one now. And of course, that's a testament to Joni Ives, the yeah, absolutely, uh, of course, of course, British yes. designer who, yes. Uh, yes. And, and of course, to Steve Jobs, who oh, had the foresight yes. to uh, yes. to employ him yes. and and position him in a pivotal role within yes. the company. So that was important, and it's a it's a, it's a shame that he has uh, uh, retired and left Apple, but. Um, Will be interesting to uh, to see his future. Uh, you well, know. I mean, it's, it, the the interesting thing about talking about the future is is the ground is moving um, yeah. it, it faster than we think. Uh, we're involved. We you know when I was with the design council, it was just people in 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 Canberra like Derek Wrigley and Arthur Robinson work be concerned about things like climate change and environmental issues. Environmental issues more predominantly. Um, yeah. Uh, like Arthur would say, you know, you're going to throw things out. Where actually is out? Where, where, where is it going? Yes, that's and, a good, and, and, good point. Uh, so that, but more than that now, we've got a pandemic upon the whole world. We've got yes. an internet that connects the whole world. We've got artificial intelligence that does more things than we can imagine. Uh, and even now, I mean, yes. we are using part of it and it's Part of it is behind the scenes adjusting and possibly <laughs> recording it to some distant mountain in, in California or somewhere. I don't know. But, it, it's uh, it's too cloud, yes. <laughs> but the, the the human aspect of design, of course, is what it's about. And the and if you if you're I think if you're a designer, you should also be at least a bit of a philosopher. You should think a little bit about life and what it means. And 
one of the and don't forget, I think that I, I think I said that Kenji Ekoan was a, a Zen Buddhist too, and yes, did. he believed very strongly in the impermanence of life, and his the the theme for the 1973 design exit conference was soul and material things, and that was a I thought a magnificent topic to have because it was provoking. You know, when he came to Australia, he talked about uh, products with tails or electric cords to plug in, but as if they were an extension of the human. And there was a, a philosophic attitude. As he said, he had a philosopher come in and read to his class. But more than that, when I introduced him in these cities, I would say, what you're going to hear, you will probably find a little strange. However, if you also keep in mind that Kenji Ikuan runs a cooperative of about 240 designers in Japan who do work for Yamaha, Pioneer, Sony, all of the big companies. And don't forget that at the end of the Second World War, and this is where Kenji got his education and, and his name, uh, GK Associates was named after his, his uh, mentor, Koike, and it's the group of Koike, that's that's the name of it. And this philosophy sent under the martial aid, they, they sent uh, design students to Japan, to, to America, to decide where there were gaps in the market. And one of the gaps they perceived early on was the fact that electronic equipment in America was furniture. Motorola had a, was, was a big cabinet, and they took it out and they made the black box approach, basically. And, and we know what happened after that. It just kept on moving through. Largely, it was a design process. It was also followed by Brown, and Brown was one of the, Brown in Germany, one of the influences behind Steve Jobs. And, and I think these, these sequences are always fascinating to, to see how they come together. Absolutely. And um, that's uh, it's amazing. Brown, of course, uh, and uh, I think Joni Ives reflected on this, one of his yes, idols. Yes. Idols yeah. was Dieter Rams. That's, yes, I've met Dieter Rams, and I also met uh, Nut Yuran of uh, of Philips. And, yes, and yes, they, they were fascinating people. And no, absolutely. But I mean, uh, you're you're reflecting on the fact that Ken Jackman was uh, uh, had been a former Buddhist priest, yes, and uh, right. his whole philosophical approach to design, yeah. which was so important. So it's probably come almost. Round or full circle, David. That's been, so. it's yeah. been it's been a fascinating conversation. Oh, I enjoyed it, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much for your time and uh, your reflections have been uh, wonderful. And uh, there's a lot to take away from uh, what you have had to say this morning. And I hope that uh, people uh, enjoy this conversation and uh, and reflect on it and uh, and take a great deal of meaning from it. So, David, thank you so much for uh, for joining me this morning as part of Design Conversations. Well, thank you, Jeff. I, I, I do appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm.